0: Lindsay! Martha! This week's episode is all about something that I hope doesn't just come up for you and me, but other people as well. This week we're talking about boys in the classroom and their sometimes excess of energy and their crazy awesome ways that can sometimes be challenging to our skills and abilities, but we still love them very much. And this episode is in no way supposed to be pointing the finger at little boys or making generalizations about little boys. It's just, you know, we notice that there's like this big phenomenon where you get a bunch of boys in the classroom and it's sometimes can be harder for, and I don't really have a male teacher perspective other than our guest today, but it can sometimes be harder for us to handle all those boys. There's a lot of activity.
1: Yes, and I feel like definitely together, their activity is a little different because one-on-one I'm sure at home or you know with siblings, it can be different, but I feel like when they get in groups with friends, it's definitely a different energy and one I have struggled with in the past.
2: <laughs> so yeah. I
1: feel like this was like a great kind of eye-opener in a lot of ways. Um, with just trying to think of some strategies that are kind of more proactive. I'm like
0: I'm proactive, proactive, productive and help yeah. us. And really the strategies are for teachers. They're not to change. They're not to change the, no. the child. It's really to help you get into the mindset so that you're not like stifling the, the uniqueness of each child, whether that means they're bouncing off the walls or not.
1: Totally. And you might even have some girls like this. So oh, you they yeah. Are boys. yeah, and you probably will.
0: So today's guest is Dan Hodgins.
1: Yes, he is. Dan Hodgins is an author and a consultant, and he was a teacher and for many, many, many years. I think like 30-something years. Uh, he has his own website uh, and also offers not only consulting, but he offers webinars. So definitely check out his website. We will have it on up on our blog. So much information there.
0: Yes. His, um, I would definitely check him out. His website is danieljhodgins.com. And there you can see the awesome books that he's authored, Changing the Classroom, Not the Child, and his newest book, which is titled Get Over It. And um, yeah, like Lindsay was saying, he's a consultant who works with educators, parents, and other professionals, and he helps them Understand research-based theory and how to adapt curriculum and environments to support the continued development of children and families. And we had a great conversation with Dan all about boys and and his take on it because he really has a lot of um, a lot of knowledge to share and a lot of experience to share. He's just an awesome resource. And we really hope you enjoy. So, without any further ado, here is our interview with Dan Hodges.
1: Thank you so much for um, speaking with us and
0: doing this little podcast call. Oh, not a problem. So, yeah, yes. um, um, this is a topic that Lindsay and I were co teachers. So, we every <laughs> year definitely get into some sort of big questioning session about the boys in our room. So we were really excited by this topic. And like what to do with them sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) We're like, what is so different about these boys that that makes this so challenging at times if I'm being honest. And so awesome at other times.
2: Yeah. You know, when I do workshops, typically people ask about boys. They don't ask about girls frequently and and if they say you know they got a lot of boys this year they get this sound of disgust (laughs) 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 wait a minute it could be fun too (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: it's really there are so many things that we love about the boys in our room and we're we totally love this topic because we are committed to like really figuring out how to bring out the best in you know all children in our classroom and really make our lives easier too because it's <laughs> it can be so frustrating to you know keep placing the blame on just little boys you know what i mean because <laughs> that's not productive yeah. Oh, that's
1: just both. Yeah. Yeah.
0: so yeah um to start off let's can you just share a little bit about your background and how you you know got into the topic of like really going doing a deep dive into into the subject of boys
2: sure I, this is my 36th year working with young children I still volunteer in a program where most of the uh, children are boys and uh, so I started you know in, in working in preschool and frequently saw that you know there were some differences that I thought well maybe this is just me but then as I observed carefully uh, then I realized oh, it's not just me. There really is some differences that need to be reflected, and then my daughter started dating at about fifteen. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking, what? Uh, <laughs> you no, know, I'm a father of a single, you know, of a one child, and it happened to be female who chose to who date males and, and brought them home, and they're sitting on the sofa talking about stuff, and I'm thinking. I've been male for over thirty years already, and is this really the way we are? The way they were asking questions, the way they were talking, the way they moved around in the sofa. And I'm thinking, that's not what I'm used to.
1: Oh boy! I like. I read that part in your book, and I was like, oh my god, this is great. It had,
2: it had to take your daughter? Wow, do this really needs to be looked at carefully. So that's when I started to taking a look at um, the differences between boys and girls. Yeah. Got it. And then
1: so you started like kind of doing like a research. Um, basically, it was kind of like teachers researcher in within your classroom.
2: Yes, and Michael Gurian, who wrote The Wonder of Boys, really started this whole um, talk about differences between boys and girls. Mm. His emphasis, though, was on middle and high school. Mm. There was Really, a whole lot dealing with the very young child, yeah. and that's what I was interested in. So that's why I started going around and observing um, in different classrooms and and writing down some things that I saw that were different.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. Yeah, I like and
1: I love that idea. Just kind of you just took it on as like your research for the whatever year, and then it probably extended, right? <laughs> did yes. you kind of <laughs> did it start as like a shorter research project?
2: Yeah, And I think what happened is uh, because once I started looking and deciding and observing that boys were being expelled from school more frequently mm-hmm. than girls, I mean, still today the expulsion rate in preschool for boys is enormous. Yeah. Um, we're talking seven times more boys than girls. Wow. And I'm thinking, wait, this this can't be, this, this can't happen in this way. And that's when I started to Doing some more reading and, and looking at the statistics um, that bothered me a lot.
0: Yeah. What do you think that is? I mean, I'm sure we can get into what do you think that is
2: forever, <laughs> but
0: that's so interesting. So why do, you, why do you think that that is with the expulsion rates?
2: I think part of it is people forget that um, there might be, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but yeah. testosterone level differences Yeah. and testosterone causes Two things for males. Okay. It means they move around a lot, or they have an erection, or <laughs> both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so because of that, uh, there's a lot more movement um, and more interest in being vigorous uh, among males uh, than there are females. And I don't think we're trained in our programs of choice Um, that to take a look at those differences. So we look at the behavior as bad rather than looking at it as just being different.
1: Yeah. And I would say there's like a lower threshold for that behavior. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. No one has stamina to deal with all that extra, um, you know, activity and energy. (laughs)
2: Right, I've got a friend that teaches preschool up in um, Marquette, Michigan, and she was telling me the other day that she spent most of the day just chasing one boy who kept <laughs> aping the classroom. Oh so my two gosh. hours of running, and then she finally said, "You know, I've never uh, said to myself, maybe this child isn't good for this program." <laughs> she's and she's it never said that? that. was that? Just running. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, or maybe he needs to. Do I feel like that is I
0: th- I feel like that is the first thing that a lot of people think of. Like when they run into problems or behavioral problems with air quotes, um they say is this a good fit for the program? And and so it really does I mean, I guess, sorry just to, like, have a stream of consciousness, but I guess some boys do, you know, move around a lot more or come off as more hyperactive or as maybe more aggressive. or um, So I think it's hard to not, – not every boy in your class is going to be like that, right?
2: Oh, no. And that's why we really have to be careful and – And that's been the biggest controversy because if we talk about our differences, then do we support biases? And and I kind of take the opposite view. Mm -hmm. If we don't talk about it, we are actually supporting uh, biases. Right. Because all children are different. It doesn't mean that all boys are more assertive or all boys run more. Right. Um, As I've worked with girls that, you know, I've been chasing yeah. <laughs> running frequently too, so uh, it really doesn't mean all, but I think part of it is in general terms, yeah. yes, and to be more vigorous.
0: Um, and I guess just getting into it, we kind of wanted to talk about this a little earlier than we had it on our list, but um, what do you, where do you think gender roles fit into all of that and like how boys and girls are socialized?
2: Well, I think that's the big challenge. You know, the question is whether or not it's biological or social. Right. And I a combination of both. You cannot ignore the fact that even today in 2020, there is an influence um, by our culture on the way boys behave and the way girls behave. Yeah. Uh, I take the example of generally when I observe uh Adults with young children, they will ask a child to put on their coat, um, and if they struggle, in most cases, they will actually do it for the child, the female child. Yeah. With the male child, they typically will say, "Well, why don't you start here?" Uh, and still encourage the male child to do it on his own, so that the cultural implication is still here and is still um, um, you know influencing uh, behavior beyond that though you can't ignore the fact um, that I think the boys and girls are, are wired differently um, mm-hmm. in in the biological sense
0: so let's get into that about how boys brains are wired
2: okay um, I think yeah. One of the biggest differences is that I've noticed is what I call pause state versus active state.
1: Uh-huh.
2: The best way to talk about that is to give the example. Uh, in preschool classrooms, um, teachers often like to do what's called collaging, mm-hmm. where they put a lot of items on the table and then put a piece of paper on the table and then let a child uh, put glue on the paper and then put the objects. Well. This is what I frequently see boys doing. You have a small sheet of paper on the table. As a matter of fact, this happened with Carl. And it's it's too small for him because paper has to be body size uh, for Ew. some children. Uh, and then they have like eight different items, and they're really cutesy little items that buttons and glitter and all that kind of stuff. But then they hand Carl the bottle of glue, and he's and substrate, he holds the bottle in front of him, and he starts squeezing the glue on the paper, so much that the teacher starts saying, don't you have enough glue, don't you have enough glue, and of course, he's not hearing it, because his brain immediately goes into a focusing state, which I call pausing, where he is to empty that damn bottle of glue <laughs> <laughs> and then it. when he gets the pile of glue on the paper he then looks up for more and <laughs> says don't you want to put one. some pretty things on there and he's wondering where is the glue <laughs> <laughs> okay. and that's not collaging that's called gluing <laughs> it's true and that pretty his, Focus on the glue. And some girls, too, in terms of their approach. So when they do an activity, frequently after the activity, their brain goes into pause state. And the reason for that is they need time to reflect on, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, why am I doing this? Um, so pause state um, is often done for protection for boys, too. Okay. Um, they, need, they take longer.
0: I see so and so how do you navigate that you know that space like what is what what do you think is developmentally appropriate when it when a boy is experiencing a pause state with all the glue
2: I think part of it is first of all make sure that we let's just use gluing as the example right if, if you know that the child especially male mm-hmm. is, Focusing only on squeezing the glue, then maybe what we need to do for the first part of collaging <laughs> is give them a lot of opportunity for squeezing things out of a bottle. Got Rather it. than expensive glue, let's mix some water and some food coloring or whatever it is to give the child the chance to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze because that's where his first um, sense of development is. And then the more activity we provide in terms of action, the less likely the brain is to go into pause state. Got it.
0: So
2: so. sometimes what happens is we'll say, well, why don't you sit down and do this task? When really we should be saying, why don't you stand up to do this task?
0: I see. Okay. And just...
2: The brain is active; the less likely you will go into pause state.
1: So, just in general, I feel like like a really good strategy would just be give like them anyone who's in a pause state or has problems with or not problems but has frequent pause states. Maybe have them do more action, like activities that are, like yeah, are active, jumping, right?
2: Climbing, jumping. running. You know, those th- those will move it from pause state to active state. Okay. Another example. Yeah. One of the things that happens in classrooms frequently is that boys get in trouble for hitting, yeah. and they see hitting is bad. Well, hitting is not bad. It's hitting Susan or Jason or right. Carl yeah, yeah. is bad thing. <laughs> yeah. So what happens is the child will hit another child, mm-hmm. and teacher will go up to Eric and say, you know, why did you hit her? That hurts our friends. And he's looking because the brain already went into state because he did the hitting. And so he doesn't know how to respond to that. So the teacher gets upset and puts him in a timeout chair. Right. Well, the worst thing to do, because no child is thinking, especially boys, about what they did wrong while they're sitting in a timeout chair. <laughs> they're hoping somebody comes by close. <laughs> So they can try to trip them <laughs> <laughs> or save them.
1: Yeah. So
2: what we really need to give Eric is a box to hit or something to kick. And and that will increase um, his knowledge and prevent the brain from going into pause state. At the same time, if Susie's the one that's being hit, she needs to tell other children that she doesn't like it. Yes. Because her verbal skills are farther advanced. So she needs, and what she does is goes around and tells everybody, essentially, that you're a <laughs> Why is she doing that?
0: My question is, are, we're talking about a child maybe who is, is hitting because they're interested in hitting, not a child who's having trouble communicating, so they hit.
2: Right, but even if we talk about communication, it's more difficult for boys to mm-hmm. communicate their feelings than it is for girls. Totally, boys do it in action,
0: right. not all,
2: and girls do it by verbalizing it. We call it—I call it—reporting in. Teacher, teacher, te- that's reporting in.
0: <laughs> right, right. Now, or
2: boys run and hide under a table.
0: Yes, and I I mean I when we've definitely seen that and we've definitely seen the boy who is hitting or knocking things over and and then we say why did you do that and I don't it's like know. A talk it out. Yeah. yeah, and and so um I think I love the idea of giving an outlet to yeah. do those things and it also kind of helps just not shame that child for having an impulse but also teaching them that, you know, like that hurts so-and-so yeah, yeah. because so-and-so is, you know, telling you, stop hitting <laughs> me. And um, now you have a a better, safer way to do it.
2: Right. And I think part of it is we spend a lot of time talking to children about what they shouldn't do, and we really need to talk and, and provide opportunities of what they can do.
0: I love that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. always in the positive. I like your, um, your, uh, what is it? New rules for boys that work better in early childhood settings instead of, um, don't, no running or walking feet. Run here often, climb higher, build higher. And it definitely th- makes for more thought on the teacher's part, maybe a little more effort, but I think it'll pay off, you know.
2: And that's it. The payoff is greater at the end. Right. Because. Once you provide what is natural for children, I'm always saying uh, every child is looking for what they're good at. Yeah, And some children are good at hitting. (laughs) It doesn't mean that it's good, but they're really good at it. So if that's true, why would we say to Carl, we don't hit our friends? What we really need to say is because you like to hit, let me find something for you to hit because that supports what children are good at does it's, that make sense it totally yeah. makes sense yes yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah and like and I even I just really keep thinking about the kid who's bu- like bulldozing everybody's structure <laughs> or something like that like you're really good at the destruction part of right. this and so that's like, something you're really something interested in yeah you know so let's Give that an outlet.
1: Yeah. Like build something over here that you can knock down.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Uh, well, and when girls, girls build nests uh, frequently where they surround themselves with blocks and then get inside and yell, teacher, look what I made. Yeah. Boys build up so they can knock it over, like yeah. you said. And That's they so frequently cool. build up. To knock it over, and it doesn't mean that some girls don't build up and knock over too. Right. But when they knock it over, they report in, teacher, look, I didn't mean to do that. Or boys <laughs> simply plow through. But we
0: do know <laughs> that girls don't build up as much as boys, and that they yeah. should be encouraged to do it because it building up, I've heard, gives amazing, like you know, like engineering, engineering, yeah. and visual spatial experience that girls aren't getting as much. They tend to stay uh, horizontal and more two-dimensional.
2: Which makes
0: sense with the nests.
2: All we need to say to them is, how tall can you make that?
0: Yeah, that's that's a good good indication.
2: They really haven't thought about it. Or And
0: and even, kind of like what you're saying, encourage a little bit more of the building up to knock it down, you know, in a a girl, too. Yes,
1: Definitely. We like Definitely. love big blocks in our classroom. We actually did like a big block study one year, um, and so it's just they're so amazing with all like the learning that they provide. And there it's was a right lot emotions. of knocking. There down. There was a lot of knocking down every day.
0: There yeah. was a yeah. huge yeah. amount of time spent just building well, to knock down. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Boys I know when and people girls, ask so. me if you know what do you think about computers, I always say, "How many big blocks do you have first? Right. If you don't have big blocks." And get those first, do the computers later. Uh, No, they're
1: really... really
2: Right, because they like to build up and knock down, build up, knock down, and those are really important concrete skills that are needed for both boys and girls. So
0: Totally, yep. I guess let's move into environment a little bit, just talking about toys and materials. Um, You know, boy-friendly environments... Uh, I I had a couple things um, in your you had a chart what boys need movable parts was a big thing what do you mean when you're talking about movable movable parts
2: well some people call them loose parts Ah. I call movable parts just because I always use the example sometimes I take a knife out of the kitchen and use it as a screwdriver in another room that's a movable part that's so uh, true. We keep forgetting that. we saying to children, especially boys, uh-uh-uh, that belongs in the... Good I'm it. thinking, what? What's, what happened to that? Where did that come from? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think part is looking at when you're selecting items, props, toys for an environment for boys and girls, look at how many opportunities they can move it from one spot to another. So I like hand sweepers. Uh, I like uh, things that they can push um, because we want children to move. It connects to the brain, and boys need to do that frequently. Um, So providing opportunities for that. Um, And so I look at rakes, um, things that they can actually move with their body. Shovels. And that's what I call movable
0: parts. The most, one of the most beloved toys in our outdoor area are the shovels. Mm -hmm. We have like those big snow shovels. It's crazy how much they love them in all seasons.
2: You know, every child wants to dig to China or someplace (laughs) outside their backyard.
0: Totally.
2: Yeah. I was in a program. Um, with that boss out in Roseville, California, and uh, when the first time I went there, she uh, tricked me by burying some bones from <laughs> leftover cattle and that in the sandbox. It's a huge sandbox, <laughs> and they were digging, and all of a sudden they said, "We found someone dead." And I, thought, so I walked over, and sure enough, they were picking up big bones out of the sandbox. Since then. I frequently bury uh, turkey bones, things of that sort, after someone has a big dinner. Um, And it's amazing. Uh, You're right. Children love, especially boys, love to use shovels um, and dig. And I'm worried that our sandboxes and that are so small, they can't dig outside anything.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think just that like that discovery of finding a bone or finding something is so exciting, too.
0: Finding so. something real yeah. is awesome.
2: Yes, so shovels, breaks. Um, so here's the three criteria I use. It has to be real, has to be relevant, and it has to be able to be hooked to an emotion. If I can't do all three of those, then I don't buy or collect the item for the classroom.
0: What do you mean by hooked to an emotion?
2: A child feels good about it, feels sad about it, gets angry when they use it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I look at things that create not only a physical activity, but an emotional experience. Have you ever read a book that you just started crying yeah. while you're reading it? That's the kind of, then that's a good book.
0: Right, um, okay. So the so same I love thing
2: it. for toys and props. So
0: they have like a moat feeling yeah. for them. A Yes. I see. Yes. I love that. Um, and I think we
2: do they look at items that are easy to clean up. To be
0: honest, easiest thing for me in a classroom to clean up with my boys every time without fail are any kind of block. All I yeah. need to say is, I need block deliveries. Do I have any delivery people? <laughs> and I right. get, I get all the blocks back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think that using that bag as a prop to
1: be like, I need you to go find all of the little people. I need treasure hunters. Tri- yeah, put yeah. them in this
0: little burlap sack and bring all the little people to me. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think that's yeah. like a perfect prop to be able to, like, organize a cleanup.
0: Sure. Right. I, I We like to give our um, little warnings to yeah. groups. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's so true that, like, the onus for the cleanup is on the teacher You know, we're creating an atmosphere for children, not to be perfect and be like like excelling at cleaning up, but to have a first experience with keeping their space (laughs) usable. You know, and taking care of the materials to some extent. So I think it's true. Like we just need to maybe get it into our little
2: yeah, get creative, get burlesque, get you know at a parent workshop, asked me, how do you get a five-year-old to make a bed? My response was, buy him a, buy him a sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> because she expected him to put the sheets out in the bed. So she would go in and say, not that she was a bad parent, she was under this what I call the spell. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> she would say, you call that maid? But
0: oh, well, would no. you want to
2: continue making a bed? No. If somebody said that to you. That's high stress. So, and so, so part of it was where is the child developmentally yeah. and let's focus on that versus what our expectation is for the future
0: right okay yeah love it um let's talk rough housing because that's another huge area um, <laughs> and I'll tell you so Lindsay and I have gotten to a point where <clears throat> we expect rough housing and we can also kind of talk a little bit about the letter you sent home at the beginning of the year to parents and just how, how we, we like the idea of setting expectations for parents because every year yes. we have an angry mob after us <laughs> because it's about rough housing.
1: Like yes. allowing it, or so and so is like the rough child, and, and my that they child is
0: constantly being bullied or right, being right, right. beat up by these other children, and yet that is the child who is putting them, who has got the biggest smile on his face. Usually, it it can lead to it always leads to someone getting a little bit hurt. You know, that's the nature of rough play. But that child is usually right in the middle of it because they it, love it. They yeah, need it. yeah.
2: Well, and and I. Yeah, it's a it's a it's nervous for parents yes. to think about their child being a roughhouser, right. and I think part of the, the bullying discussion yeah. um, created even more fear. And yes. So when I do workshops, uh, I typically say that um, boys, especially, are not bullies; they're just looking for a sense of power. Yeah. Once great opportunities for power, then the aggressive or assertive behavior diminishes or decreases rather than increase. So that's one of the reasons I love rough housing. So what I do is I send home a letter each year and people usually send letters home that talk about what children are going to learn in our program. They're going to learn how to read and they're going to learn to count. Well, I don't do that. I send a letter home saying they're probably going to get chickenpox. Uh, they're probably <laughs> no. going to be hitting. They might come home complaining that somebody hit them. Yeah. <laughs> it gives me an opportunity to just say, you know, this is normal especially when you place a child in a group. Because most yeah. children didn't ask to be placed in a group. And, and so groupings, it's going to invite that kind of behavior. So right. webhousing really allows children to have that sense of, I'm in control and I have power. Um, and rather than I'm planning on being mean, um, yeah. it's more of an opportunity express their need for power so I think we can help people do more roughhousing if we look at it's not necessarily a center where we have art um, science roughhousing more of an integrated approach and I would use the example when I was young my father and my grandfather used to allow me to get on their back and they would bronco me and I would fall off that's roughhousing Yeah, Uh, And so my job is to make sure the children have the same connection. Um, And so creating roughing housing doesn't mean that they have to be hitting each other. It could just mean more vigorous play and making sure the children have a surface that they can fall on um, Mm -hmm. if that happens. So mats and cushions and mattresses are a good way to prevent Um, children from getting hurt but I'm going to tell you I love (laughs) roughhousing and I'm thinking matter of fact I put uh, teacher Tom gave me an idea so Mm -hmm. I I did a workshop titled um, we plan for art and science are you planning on fighting also (laughs) because that's what's going to happen children are going (laughs) to fight and it doesn't mean that they're going to put on worldwide wrestling No. Um, (laughs) it means they're going to jump on each other
0: they are um, yeah and i think too well we try to this doesn't mean we're like okay have at it right <laughs> this means that we're really watching and and interjecting
1: um well,
0: yes, and and saying oh looks like so and so um that was too hard you know they're they're crying now and We need to stop and pause and check in.
1: Yeah, because I think it's also like about setting limits too. While they're trying to find that power, they also need to kind of like start playing with the limits, right? And like,
2: well, how how hard is too hard? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's right on target because I think here's a couple of statements that I make to children, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, I don't intrude very often. But I'll say first of all, did you ask if he wants to play that game? Okay. Because remember, it's not housing, it's a game. Right. Um, because they young children forget because they're so egocentric and especially boys, they think that everybody wants to do what I want to do.
1: Oh yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So they don't ask. Right. Yeah. Um, and So I, that's the first question. And then if I see like you indicated earlier a child crying, then I say that the child is crying, you can say that you don't want to play that anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So what that does is give ownership to the victim yes and just again the child is doing the rough housing and might be hurting doesn't plan on hurting it, right. it just is involved in the process um and might need some guidance of saying like you said i think he doesn't want to play that anymore is that right carl
1: right and
2: if carl says yes then i say, well tell him you're done
1: yeah
2: if yeah. it doesn't no, then I back off because I. But I don't go very far because in roughhousing, you're always going to have a victim.
0: Yeah, right. Hmm. I think it's important to also to give a lot of power to that victim, like you're saying, and not make them the the victim
1: yeah just or just like having them you know practice those verbal skills right being able to say like I don't want to play anymore
0: and making sure that everyone gets I mean trying to make sure that everyone gets a chance at feeling powerful too I think because then I think you get into parents hearing that so-and-so is always I mean you might they kids tend to just say those things when they're you know probed by their parents
1: <laughs> how's the, going back to your letter how has it like been received by parents
2: and it's it's interesting because once parents realize that you're really there to help the child succeed in whatever that is yeah and i that's what the letter is all about it doesn't talk about um the cognition aspect because that's the easiest part yeah you I could teach a child to read. I could could do any of that really, really quick if I thought it was important. What's really important are those things that children need and and want.
0: And I think Um, it's, and it goes, sorry to interrupt you, but it goes, I I loved what you said about how children don't ask to be part of a group. And so when we do group them Conflict arises and that's we are grouped naturally. We are in spaces as humans and they will be in school hopefully for (laughs) you know a good so much of their lives and the skills that they're going to learn being in these not preferred situations sometimes are really important and I think that letter speaks to that. It's just like this is going to happen. We're not just being like go for it. It's the wild west. And I also think
1: parents aren't used to their children being in groups like that either. Especially
0: at this age. This is the first time.
1: They're like, at home they don't do that. It's like, well, yeah, because they don't really have those influences at home. You know, it's different in these
2: group settings. Different kids, different dynamics. my mother never asked me if I wanted a brother. I would have said no.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. My brother asked when I was going back.
2: Yeah. So I I think what what, and the other thing the letter does, it says to parents, hey, my child is okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, like I love all that. All of this. My child Especially
2: okay for boys. He's doing things that other boys are doing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. You might hear that your child has hit another child. And, like, we're not shaming you yeah. for that. That's something we expect, you right. know? Yeah. I love that. Yes. Well, um, you know, I think we've covered a lot. And, all yeah. Right. But... Dan, thank you so much. This was awesome. I feel ready to go and have 19 boys
2: and two <laughs> girls. I actually don't know if I'm going to be ever ready for um, that, but. yeah Yes, thank you so much.
0: Thanks
2: so much for inviting me. It's been a yeah,
1: pleasure. Thank you so thank much. You. We'll
2: be in touch. Thank you,
1: Dan. Have a good day. You too.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. So that's our show. If you want to learn more about Dan and the awesome work that he does, you can head over to his website, danieljhodgins.com or you can head over to our blog and see all of the information that we talked about in this episode with Dan and also get a link to his website and some other cool resources we talked about. And our website is www.thereflectiveteacherpodcast.com. We would also really appreciate it if you went over to Apple Podcasts and rated and reviewed our podcast. It really helps our podcast get pushed out to other teachers so that they can listen to. And you can also find us on Instagram at thereflectiveteacherpodcast